Parry Talks. Welcome back. Um, I think this is episode 21, so happy 21st to the Parry Talks podcast. It's a special one. Um, again, if you watched last week's episode, I said at the start, this is someone that at the start of the podcast, I made a long list of people that deserve to get their story told. And they'd be like, if I can tell these people's stories, it'd be a dream. Um, so I went back through that list now that I did have an extra bit of spare time because of all the Corona thing. And I sort of reflected back on a lot of the conversations I already had um, with some of my friends already and some of the recommendations they put forward. And in the Honey Point episode of Parry Talks, um, those girls made it very clear and very explicit whose story deserves to be told. And that is the one, the only King Abitonier. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? Shout out to the Honey Point girls. You guys are amazing. Yes. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> I think people, I always throw around the term friends of the show, but they are the highest tier of friends of the show. I love that. Yes. <laughs> um, just want to start a bit more broad. Um, how are you coping with the whole isolation thing and sort of just any tips or anything that you found effective that's keeping you present in what seems to be? you know, such a weird existential sort of time. Yeah, it's it's a very strange time. Um, to be honest, like I'm just going to be really honest, I feel like I've kind of been going on a loop. Like I feel that my journey with COVID-19 has not been linear in the sense of like trying to understand my emotions and dealing. Like I, to be completely frank, I love being at home generally like I'm quite a homebody and even when I'm before like lockdown I was home most of the time if I didn't have to be out (laughs) so in terms of like the isolation side of things I think I'm fine with that I think it's just more everything else that's sort of come as a byproduct of lockdown and COVID that I've been more affected by um And I think that I've been coping with that by trying lots of different things. Tried the exercise route. I bought all of this home gym equipment because I'm afraid to do running. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad that I'm not alone. Got my jump rope. Got all of this shit. Got a soccer ball. They play soccer. We're going to kick it around and get back into that. Um, Yeah, I've been trying to make music, DJing a lot watching a lot of tv shows crying sometimes you know we just we're going everywhere these are the things that i do to cope they might work for you as well yeah (laughs) i did the whole like i want to exercise a bit more so i need clothes to properly exercise in so i should buy some clothes to exercise in and then i ended up just exercising in my casual clothes because i felt more comfortable in it anyway so now they're just doing nothing so (laughs) um Another one as well, I don't know if you reflect, like it, it's almost like the same level of, of um, crying in terms of just like letting it out, a hot shower. Absolutely mm. insane. Don't even get me started on. When I'm fully stressed or like I'm preparing for something and it's stressing me out, here, sit in the shower for 10 minutes. That'll reevaluate your life. Um, it's a good feeling. I do love a hot shower, but I feel like I love the hot shower and then I end with it really cold mm-hmm. just to like jolt you up. Do you do that? Is that a part of your routine or Look, process? We started off just cruising here in terms of our life, and that's probably we've detoured now. Um, let's get a bit more serious with it. Um, I think a big sort of, and I think a very big positive of this whole COVID-19 situation, especially in Australia, I see it being 
us being massive innovators is in the live stream format. And of course, with the LAN parties and a regular fit, it's obviously such a cool and special thing that you are doing. Um, I just wanted you to talk through like Thank the you. process of setting up that first one in that backyard or was it a backyard and just like your thoughts and initial ideas behind setting that one up. Yeah. So Lamp Party is run by Irregular Fit and Anti Collective. Um, and we sort of ran that first live stream. Like, I guess I was a bit personally, I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone in the crew, but I personally was kind of, off the fact that my boiler room had been kept, like postponed because of COVID. So it actually, we were like, let's just have like a fun time because we'd all been planning to hang out and party together anyways. Um, but we're like, yeah, let's set up a live stream event. It doesn't seem that hard. It was a lot harder than we thought it would yeah. be. But yeah, it seemed like fairly doable. We just did it in one of the crew's backyards. Um, and yeah, it was a vibe. It was cool. I'm glad that we did that. Yeah, and I think that one of the more difficult things, mainly from the consumer point of view for the clubs, is like clubs are like multi, um, how do I say it? Not multimedia, but like multi, like then it's not just sound and visual. Like there are so many other elements to a club that are so important. Mm. And um, I don't know if you took a conscious effort to like try achieve that but the regular fit lives and the um the lamp party live streams aren't just you know a visual background with the dj there's a lot more to it with the green screen and all that sort of thing so like throughout the whole process of them what do you think you've learned in terms of what it takes to throw a good club live stream throughout the whole process of it (laughs) um i think like both me like and everyone else that's been doing these live streams with me we've all learned like a significant amount like i so i don't know how much you know about like twitch the gaming app that was sort of yeah. well you probably do, you've seen the live stream i had no idea what that was before <laughs> the beginning of march like i had no i'd never heard of it mm. i've never used it um i'd never used a green screen before um yeah, it's been a real journey, but it's also been really exciting learning how to use all of this like equipment that I have had no idea about. I think that it's been a huge process. It's been a learning curve. I've been <laughs> calling myself an e-girl now because I know how to do things on the internet, <laughs> but I'm really not. Um, I think that with the aesthetic, we like I'm really into like, Windows 97, so like vaporwave shit sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Um, and we just sort of wanted to make sure that with the progression of our live streams, there were ways that we could make it a bit more engaging than just having a DJ play to you because like obviously it's a whole different experience, like sort of like touching on what you said before about when you go to the club, it's an entire experience. We kind of wanted to mirror that in the way that we presented live streams because we think it's important for people to feel like they're sort of somewhere else. Like you're not just Mm. at home in your living room or in your bedroom listening to music. Like there's something a bit more engaging and interactive to what you're sort of taking in. Yeah, exactly. And having the live streams with sort of Ant in with the regular fit as, you know, community based like um, projects with, you know, strong ethoses and stroke vision statements as well. Um, and bringing that to the live stream um, space sort of engages that community side of club music through the live stream instead of it being like, 
oh, we're just like this promoter that we do shows anyway, but we're just going to put um, all the DJs we normally book in on a live stream. Mm. But instead there's like, there's obviously that community element as well, which you guys can definitely lean on, which does also add to that community space online too, which is super important as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think like centering DJs of colour and especially emerging DJs, um, I think one of the biggest pros of us live streaming <clears throat> has been like DJs, some of whom came through the Irregular Fit DJ Workshop program, who learned how to DJ and then played one live gig and then all of a sudden everything was sort of shut. They've been given this new experience where they're learning how to engage with audiences online and they're like forming their own new audiences, like both T-Rad and Red Ray uh, playing COVID Room, which is like an Italian-based collective's live stream, as well as Room to Radio. I think that this experience has, yeah, I think it's definitely fostered more community, um, but it's also just given emerging DJs of colour a chance to actually play because it can be quite hard to have those opportunities um, when we are going to clubs in real life. Exactly. And trying to get gigs, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, and I think that an important thing, and I'm trying to make this point as clear and loud as possible in everything I've done, is like um, this sort of innovation in the live stream space of DJ sets um, has to say and is going to stay just because of there's so much, like so many accessibility issues, of course, in clubs. Um, not just for physically um, disabled people, but also like clubs are very intimidating spaces for a lot of people as well. Um, so it's, it's as a silver lining, it's almost like it's cool to see that there's like that through sort of like a hardship somewhere else, like a lot of positives come out where there's like a lot of positive long-term change. That's probably hopefully going to be seen in our underground culture at least. Um, so I don't know if you agree with that and like, if you just want to add to that as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I think one of the biggest pros of having yeah, live streams is the fact that we're able to create more accessibility within a lot of communities. And like you said, not just people that have disabilities, but also like people who maybe are very gender identities and don't feel comfortable going to certain clubs for whatever reason, or for a lot of like BIPOC folk, like, a lot of people don't feel generally comfortable going to certain spaces if there's like they're going to be predominantly inhabited by the dominant culture and I feel that in Australia specifically genres like techno and like more electronic music generally do have a sort of dominant culture there and it generally sort of is not people of color especially you know do you not understand I know exactly what you're talking about that? yeah so I think that it's really exciting for that very reason to have a space online where we can sort of create community and find people that maybe we wouldn't have had access to before. And another barrier is also cost. Like a lot of people don't yeah. go out because they can't afford to and Sydney's quite expensive. Um, so yeah, it's sort of a way to sort of counter that and still bring the club to people. I think that one of the barriers of the internet though, and something that I think I'm still trying to, navigate and understand is that like understanding that not everyone has the internet first off so there's still a lot of people that maybe we're not able to reach um and also the fact that yeah like you know with online spaces you still have like safety is still not guaranteed online mm -hmm. so trying to find ways to counter like cyber violence online is 
interesting. I think we've been really lucky thus far. We haven't experienced anything like that, but I feel that as like I try to keep my eye out and look for resources and ways to make sure that we can avoid that full stop. Yeah, and it just seems like there's a lot of challenges within that space. Um, but yeah, I think the pros, accessibility is great. And it's cool that there are more people that can now yeah. see things that maybe, or like experience a club when they haven't been able to experience a club before. Definitely. And uh, there's obviously I want to unpack a lot of that and go into a lot of it, but my sort of (laughs) first initial reaction to the start of your statement was, um, especially in Sydney, at least from my sort of perspective and relating on my friends' experience that aren't necessarily in our underground dance scene, um, it is like even though in our culture it's very progressive thought, it's very open arms. Like if you think about a lot of the cool DIY parties that get thrown, a lot of the irregular fit parties, that sort of thing, we do exist in such a bubble. It feels like sometimes where even though like it, we might see our friends and our promoters doing some really cool things in a progressive way, yeah. it is super barred off and super hard to find. We actually have to have a proper ear to the ground and properly be looking Absolutely. out for that sort of stuff because of how niche it is. But I feel like because... Like can I say something to that? Oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say anything too significant. I was going to say... Sorry, cut you off. So good. I was just going to say like the, even the thought, to be honest, I question progressive spaces as well. Like I question, I have a critical eye to everything, including my own work constantly, mm. because I think that sometimes the danger with progressive spaces is that they're still not that in, as inclusive as they want to be. Mm-hmm. And like, and there's many reasons for that. And like, sometimes it's more about, like, I think we have to think about power structures, right? We have to think about power dynamics. And we have to think about even the people that are running these progressive parties, like, who is it running these parties? Mm. What's their lived experiences? So I feel that in many ways, there's a lot of progressive spaces that there's still BIPOC that wouldn't feel comfortable going to exactly. those spaces. So I, yeah, I think that's something. I just want to throw that out there. No, that's but, totally, I totally agree <laughs> as well. And well, I was just going to try, I was summing up the point. It's like having you on ABC, having the Room 2 radio crew going like completely viral and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like it's showing a lot of people that there are spaces that do exist and that now going forward because of the whole live stream innovation that there's going to be heaps more, um, heaps better places and heaps more accessible places for a lot more people because of the visibility of our scene at the moment is really high. So a lot of people doing really important things because of that. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with that. Sick. Um, Wow. And this is why, and if anyone's listening out there that wants to get into journalism or anything, you prepare questions and points, but don't prepare, don't prepare <laughs> off the script because like you miss beautiful conversations like that. Um, and sort of going back to it, um, sort of a bit more overarching. I, if I tried to, and it's rude to do this, but if I was trying to sort of sum up all your work into one sentence, I'd try and make it sound something like you want to sort of empower people that don't get a voice but deserve a voice through your programming, like minorities in all facets of society. Um, and I think it's super interesting, and I've seen this over and over a couple of times, um, it's just why is dance music and DJing, do you think, such a useful medium for inclusivity? Mm. I think that, oh, I feel like that's a good question. I feel that it's 
like this is probably gonna sound like super cheesy but you know like music is a shared passion of a lot of people I think dance music especially can be like kind of like an escape of sorts like that's the way that I personally experience dance music I find it as this sort of place that it takes me that well music generally but dance music especially takes me sort of to this like euphoric elevated space so I feel like it's a perfect place to sort of bring people together of different lived experiences and try to create some sort of mutual connection that's why I feel that it's the perfect space for inclusivity also thinking about the history of what mm -hmm. dance music is and I feel that we should never forget like the black the queer like pioneers of this whole like genre of music that we now all love so much I feel that that for many people is also a big connection point for them with their love of dance music specifically so I feel that all like there's all of us and we all have different things that bring us to this genre but the one thing that we all have in common is that we love it so why not use that as a space to sort of celebrate our commonalities um, and maybe try to learn each other's differences in a really respectful way. And if you don't know something, always Google it. But, you know, yeah. learning each other's differences in a respectful manner. <laughs> that even makes sense. Sometimes I'm just like, I yeah, it does, it does. and it just takes, goes somewhere. <laughs> I tell, I usually tell my guests and like a lot of people will, will, will finish recording or whatever. And everyone will be like, I have no idea what I just spoke about for an hour. And the, the more you feel that is typically the better an interview goes. Cause if you, if you're just like, Oh, I've said this stuff a thousand times, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's a pretty poor podcast in my opinion. But if people start like okay. left, right and center, if it's like, what did I even say at, like, at all? And that's the better side. That's, that's as good a side as it gets. So okay, that's good. That. Um, yeah. And I think just adding to your point, just the way dance music is constructed and the way that, as a as a culture it's constructed it's probably the most community focused sort of genre of music i think mm. by default almost just by the way it's easiest to engage with and that is with other people and from that as well a lot of comfort and obviously social settings as well there's a lot to go into there but it just like as a community force i think it's so strong and i think that's why a lot of people feel comfortable engaging with it because it feels like a very level playing field and yeah I mean, for like, sure the example of the, and I was like thinking about the biggest songs on a night out at a dance event aren't always the ones that everyone knows. Whereas like if something just yeah. works, it works. And there's sort of like that level playing field to that where like if you're at a rap show or something and no offense to the rap community, because that is my community pretty much first and foremost, it's like there's going to be people that know more of the songs, know all the album cuts, know this, know that. But in a dance circle, it's so much more community focused in the sense that it's less about who you're watching and less and more about the people around you. Mm, yeah, sure. I think that brings out a lot of cool stuff as a culture anyway. Um, what about the start of your story? How did you find dance music? Um, what are your, you know, musical backgrounds or musical awakenings as I like to call it as well? <laughs> oh, really this wild world of dance music. My musical awakenings. Like when you ask me what my musical awakenings are, do you mean like artists that sort of made me go, what? Or like it moments be, where I've been out or... It can be whatever's been most effective in moulding your brain, really. I know that like for okay. me, I'm a live person, 
But if for some people it's like they listen to a certain song or they went to a certain party, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I never really like thought about this in depth, but this is, it's that's such an interesting question. I feel like there's been many moments of my life where like, I think one thing that both it's a blessing and a curse with even just me being a DJ is that, I get drawn to a lot of different genres. And so I feel like there's been many moments within my life where I've experienced different types of dance music and I've just been like, holy shit, that was amazing. Um, I feel that, ooh, with dance music specifically, I feel that probably, oh, actually I know, 16, had a fake ID, used to go to Club 77, Starfuckers, back in the day, (laughs) and I remember, the first time that I went there, and this was like, you know, back when you could still smoke inside the club, it was real just sweaty pit. It's not like 77 is now. And just going there for the first time, having never experienced anything like that before. Like, I think that was the first time I'd used my fake ID in the city. Um, And it was incredible. Like, you know, I feel like hooky, Mr. Disorder were playing. (laughs) It was incredible. Yeah. I had the time of my life. Um, yeah, that was definitely, that's, yeah, I feel like that would have been probably one of the key moments for me in terms of understanding dance music for what it was. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I feel like a few years later, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole when I was like, I want to know more of that. Like, did he try techno seed and, you know, Jack Mills and the gym, whatever, like, I did that as well. And that also sort of blew my mind because, yeah, it just made me, it made me think and feel a lot of things. Um, yeah. That's why playing with the underground musicians was like one of the most ridiculous gigs of my life. Cause I was like, shit, like you people have done so yeah. much for me. And now I'm playing at the club opening for you and this is fucking wild. But yeah, I feel like those two, I think also the warehouse scene in Sydney. So I've been involved with a couple of warehouses, like back in, not that far back in the day, but when I was like 22, I lived to, lived at one, and then. Oh, really? That's. Berlin, I, which? Yeah. Oh, I'm not gonna ask which one, but how? Like, oh, <laughs> that would have been absolutely chaos. We um. It was chaos. Like, <laughs> it was absolute chaos. <laughs> um, just like just to pause the story so it doesn't get too quickly, um. I've worked the door at a couple of them and I remember like you just see like random people walk in and be like, you got a stamp and stuff. And like, you were, they always just turn at you and just, like, look all grief. Like I live here. <laughs> like, no, yeah. Hot tip. Ever want to get into a, a warehouse party? That's what you say. <laughs> Literally. I, I'm not even going to lie. I've definitely pulled that even after not living at warehouses. I was like, I live here. If you act disgruntled enough, they'll let you in. That's a hot tip. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Sorry to people that live in warehouses that are watching this right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that I think that, I feel that, to be honest, though, living in warehouses made me, like, a lot of people are probably going to get real pissed off at me for saying this, but made me really dislike drum and bass because there were so many drum and bass parties at my house for one period of time that yeah. just, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then I think also another... Mm, I don't know if I call it a musical awakening, but I guess like somewhere where I learned a lot about 
dance music, specifically tech house and dubstep, yeah. well far where I worked for a few years. So mm. I feel like those have been key points. I didn't want to say like the cliche, I went to Berlin and like <laughs> the techno there was wild, but I did and yeah. it was wild. So yeah, I don't want to say that, but I have to because it's, yeah, I learned a lot there about music for sure. Brilliant. And um, how long were you, say, DJing for before you had the idea or concept for a regular fit? Or how long were you in the game for um, before you in started, you know? Um, yeah. Sort of had a more clear vision of what your impact wanted to be. Yeah. So I started DJing in, like, I say I officially started DJing in 2013 because I learned while I was working at a, a door bitch at World Bar. So one of the resident DJs there would teach me every week. Mm. Um, but in terms of a regular fit, I was always doing sort of projects because like my, it's always weird to say professional background because I feel like DJing in a sense is also my professional background. But what I do for my day job is I work in community engagement and like development. And so I feel that throughout the time that I've been DJing and throwing events, I've always tried to combine community engagement and development and like mm. community building with music and with art and other things. But a regular fit as a concept of itself didn't really come to fruition until August, 2018. So sort of after I'd come back from living overseas and I'd sort of had this like, what I felt was like a deeper understanding, like a more worldly view because before that I'd never lived anywhere but Australia. Mm. But living somewhere else and understanding things in a different sort of way made me want to come back and do more projects that were really about capacity building and about like knowledge exchange and about like really building a community of like DJs of colour because before I'd moved away, it hadn't been something that I'd seen much here. And going away and becoming friends with all these incredible DJs of colour and then coming back, I was like, I want to see more of that same shit Mm. here. If they are here, I want to find them and I want us all to sort of work together and collaborate. And I think I've been really lucky in finding some incredible already established DJs of colour. But yes, the regular fit officially started in August 2018. Yeah, um, I just wanted to ask as well, mainly from a curiosity point of view of people that I should check out or crews that I should check out, um, living overseas, were there any specific crews or groups of people or DJs that you were sort of inspired by or looked at and admired? Yeah, I think DJs that I absolutely look up to and admire. I said, do you know this big? She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She's, her music is hectic. So she's initially from New York, but now is based in Berlin. Um, I think Collectives, No Shade is an incredible collective. I think Babes, who are based out of the BBZ, based out of London, are incredible. Um, Boko Boko Collective are pretty hectic. Uh, yeah, there's so many. Oh, fuck, there's one that I wanted to... Room for resistance. They uh wild. Um, so yeah, I can send Sick. you a little list of some. Please do. And I'll put it in the yeah. in the bio. I love my bios. <laughs> um, yes, for sure. Um oh, sorry, I've gone blank. Um, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> um oh yeah, a really cool thing that I notice as well is yes, you're the founder of a regular fit, but there are a heap of other community leaders importantly engaging with it. 
Um, so when you were assembling the team, what were you looking for? Um, what sort of values or areas of knowledge did you feel you were lacking and you wanted to get on board as well um, so you could make that overall impact? Mm, that's a good question. I feel that in terms of finding people to work on a regular fit with, it was also the people with similar sort of mindset who were all really community-minded, um, who were all looking to empower community. Um, and I think in terms of skill sets, everyone that's working on it, they, they definitely do have like sort of niches. Like I feel that some of them are incredible, like workshop facilitators or sort of know how to engage with people in a way that I lack. Like I feel that this is probably going to be a bit convoluted in the way that I say it, but I'm trying to make it make sense. I feel that I can be... <laughs> because of the way that I just am as a person, I think, yeah, it's important to have people that you can sort of talk to about things who can provide a different perspective or like kind of look at what I'm doing and be like, I'm going to add to this to make it better. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I see in everyone. Like they all have such varied skill sets and I could spend like a really extensive amount of time talking about their incredible skill sets, but all I, I think just to wrap it up so I don't go on a long tangent about nothing, I think that everyone that I sort of asked to be a part of it, the reason that I did ask them is mainly because of their love of community and their love of wanting to support and build community as well as just their sheer talent. Like they're mm. all just like absolute forces in themselves and they're all doing such incredible things like outside of a regular fit like yeah. the way that it sort of works is that they collaborate on specific projects but like they do their own shit exactly. like that's amazing and that i love yeah yeah um and another cool thing about regular fit which like i've paid close attention to in terms of the stuff that i might want to look to doing is mm. education is of course like a massive part of it you know from the dj workshops um but I just want to ask what other tools like, like education are you also looking to use maybe further down the track and in the future um, to keep making change? Yeah. So I'm really into research and data. And I guess the interesting thing about that is most recently I've been sort of like we, as a regular fit, had gotten some funding to do like to start coordinating some impact research. So we're going to work with a specific like, I'm not going to mention them on camera, but like New South Wales based or who would have sort of not only helped us in like creating data that sort of supports the impact that communities of colour make towards the arts. And that was kind of going to be, well, it still is like an open source sort of document for people to use as both an educational tool, but also as a way for them to back themselves. Um, and as part of that, we were going to do like a traineeship sort of. So somebody who wanted to do it, how do I say this properly? Somebody who is interested in learning more about how to like create really crazy, like um, impactful research would have sort of t um, sat along with the org that we're working with and learned how to like helped us prepare our data, but also learn how to do it along the way. Um, yeah, sort of just taking a step back with that for a second just so that we can understand data sovereignty and things like that a little more clearly. Um, but, yeah, I think that that is one of the many ways that we're trying to 
field education. So we've been working on like an artist residency program. So we can create like mentorships between artists of color and emerging artists who like art, arts practitioners who might need support um, in becoming, I don't know, more confident artists. Um, and like the workshops that we're running vary from DJ workshops. It's just a few things that now have been basically paused as we try to yeah. recalibrate and understand how to do things digitally because of COVID-19. But there were a lot of different types of workshops planned yeah, for this brilliant. year. Yeah, I'm so inspired by that <laughs> stuff. So, I feel like sometimes I just go on such a ramble and I'm like, I get lost. And I know you said it's fine, but I'm just like, what am I even talking about now? Um, oh, God. And I just wanted to ask sort of, because <laughs> like, and you won't believe it, but we've been talking for nearly 40 minutes, like 40 minutes already. Really? Um, what? Um, A couple of like the two sort of questions that are like my pre-prepared journalist sort of, okay. you know, the really thought out questions. Um, I just wanted to get your like overall opinion on where we, where you think we stand as sort of an underground dance community um, relative to the rest of say the country or the rest of or other dance communities that you've seen um, socially, or you think in inclusivity of the work that you sort of do. Mm. I think that's a really hard question to be honest, because like it's a hard question to answer because at the end of the day, I don't know the ins and the outs of all of the different dance communities around Australia or overseas. So I feel like I can't really comment on how we stand versus how they stand. I can only really talk about what I know. But with talking about what I know, which is the Sydney dancing, which I feel like I know well and can confidently speak about, or to an extent confidently speak about, I feel that we do have a long way to go in terms of um, like, I think that there is progress that's being made and there are some incredible collectives and individuals that are doing some really great work to try to make our scene as inclusive as possible. But I think it also goes beyond inclusivity. Like, I think, like I sort of mentioned or touched on before, like power, we need to think about power and the way that it's divided and who's got it in the scene and why they have it and we need to think more about like if we're going to be talking about inclusivity then we really need to think about barriers to access that people have generally and we need to think about how we as promoters or as like party goers or whatever can counter those barriers but i feel that it's also important to acknowledge that that can be really challenging when you have certain things that are out of our control because they are systemic having said that we have to do what we can as individuals to make things as inclusive for everyone as possible and recognize that it's not meant to be easy and it's probably not going to be comfortable. Mm. And it means taking like getting rid of your ego and just understanding that sometimes you just have to listen. And sometimes we do have to acknowledge that we have certain privileges and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that we have to reevaluate the way that we do things. Awesome. And I think the favorite question that I sort of thought, and I sort of asked this to a couple of people as well that sort of work in the same or come from the same angle that you do is mm. pre regular fit Ibertonier to current Ibertonier. Um, how has the process of starting an organization changed your views on how you present yourself as a community leader? So what have you learned as a person for yourself through the process of it all? <laughs> I don't think about myself as a community <laughs> leader, so that's, 
interesting. Um, I think that this process, I'm, I'm still, every day I feel like I'm learning things about myself. And I feel that it's been, to be quite frank, quite an arduous journey at times. Like sometimes it's been like with running a regular fit, there's been a lot of failure and there's been a lot of stress and there's been a lot of like lack of sleep. Um, and there's been a lot of times where I've questioned why I do any of the things that I do because like, who am I doing it for? Like, there's been a lot. I think that over the, the course of me beginning a regular fit to now, I've continually become more critical of the way that I engage with people. And I've tried to get better at, I guess like trying to get more feedback or asking for more feedback or trying to understand more what it is that people want rather than trying to make assumptions on their behalf of what they want. And I think I'm still learning that. And yeah, I think there's a lot that I'm learning. I feel like I could answer this question forever because I'm constantly just sitting there being like, how can I be better? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a challenge. Like I think yeah. it's a challenge. I feel that irregular fit has taught me the importance of getting better at communicating because I think sometimes I'm not great at communicating like I sort of just like get overwhelmed and drop off the face of the earth for like a little while but I'm trying yeah I think it's taught me to try to learn ways to be better with communicating with different types of people it's taught me a lot more business acumen because I've had to learn all of this businessy stuff that mm -hmm. I had no idea about before um, and it's introduced me to all of these incredible just people of all different sort of experiences and sort of allowed me experiences like traveling overseas and speaking at a conference on behalf of the regular fit. Like it's been a wild journey, but I feel that it's taught me the importance of always trying to not humble yourself, I guess humble yourself in a way, but always trying to make sure that, you know, that there's always room for improvement. That's not to say that what I'm doing is mm. bad, but I think there's always space to grow and there's always needs that need to be met. And I guess maybe some people might say like, that's an interesting way to think because then it kind of never ends. But I think that's also the point. That that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Supposed to end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's been a journey to say the least. <laughs> Beautiful. And I should have warned you about the next questions because this is usually where the awkward silence comes from in all my interviews. Okay. <laughs> and don't, don't be scared at the first one. And I ask this everyone, do you have a favorite mix or a favorite boiler room or just like a go-to mix that you just like everyone can't miss yeah. or that no one should miss? I think is a better way to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I go into it. Ah, oh, I wish I had my phone. I'm trying to remember the name of the DJ right now, but there's one that I've been... Oh, I wish I remembered the name. It's um on it's like on Radiant Love SoundCloud. It was I wouldn't say it's my favorite mix of all time because I I've just only recently heard it, but I've been listening to it a lot. So if you can find it. Radiant Love. Right, I'm gonna see. <laughs> see, I told you everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, is it? Oh yeah, that's a red hot question because I feel like I have so many favorite mixes. Like, 
There's THC. Uh, yeah, it's THC live yeah. at Radiant Love. I really yeah. love that mix. Beautiful. I've That's definitely good. been mixing that a lot. Um, also, like Merve's Boiler Room um, set at Pitch. Mm. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I also love Jennifer Lovelace's Boiler Room set. Like, I, yeah. I think also um, oh, Bambi, and she did a Boiler Room in Toronto. I can't remember what year. That was incredible as well. Um, and AG also did an incredible Boiler Room set. So I have a few that I kind of just sort of like go through nice. on a loop when I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the final question, a bit easier. Um, you just have to neck nominate, it's the best way to say it, neck nominate someone else to come on this show. Who do you think deserves <laughs> their story told? Um, who would be great to have on, in your opinion? Mm, okay. Who do I think would be great to have on? I think someone that could be really interesting to have on because I feel like she does a lot of community work is Marasia, you know. Marasia, I'm unaware, but the DJ, <laughs> mother of House of Sil- Kiki House of Silky. I'm on it. Yeah, she's a vibe and she's such a fun time, but she's also great. She's very sweet. Beautiful. I think she could be really cool. Awesome. Parry Talks, episode 21. Happy 21st. Um, Abitonye, thanks so much for coming on. You're a bloody legend. Um, Thanks for having me. Also, <laughs> as well, I forgot to say, I say this in every episode. Next time there's an irregular fit party after all this passes and we're in real life, if someone finds me, taps me on the shoulder and quotes this interview, then I will get them two drinks instantly. Wow. Thanks so much for listening. Yes, I love that. <laughs> and it doesn't, you can't do it. So it doesn't okay. count for you. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> um, have a great day.